speaking of people that really love Jesus, Bill Parker was up sick last night, and guess where he is this morning? In church. So please get close to me and spread whatever you have. I want it. So, Father, Father, we lift up Paul before he preaches today to invoke your presence in this house, God, that, that everything that happens here would honor and glorify you, especially Paul's preaching. So we pray that you would give him wisdom in that, that you would give him the strength and the courage of his convictions to speak your word truthfully and well. We pray that you would bless each word that he speaks, God, that it would be your very words for us. We give it all to you and bless him, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Bill. So turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 6 through 11. But if you know the Apostles' Creed, I'm going to tell you where, where we're going. So it starts, we'll, get, we'll go down to it. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, where he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Or if you grew up Methodist like me, the quick and the dead, not the slow, but the quick. So we're going to be this morning in the ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and coming again to judge the living and the dead. And those parts are going to be found in not only this text, but if you want to take and put a finger also in Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 8 and then 1 John 2, if you, maybe you can dog ear your pages because we're kind of going to be swapping between those because those are all important. But Romans chapter 8, 1 John 2 as well, and then of course we're in Acts 1. Acts 1 starting with verse 6. When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, are you going to free Israel now and restore, notice the pronoun, our kingdom? Verse 7, the father sets those dates, he replied, and they are not for you to know. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It was not long after that he had said this that he was taken up into the sky where they were watching, and he disappeared into a cloud. As they were straining their eyes to see him, two white-robed men suddenly stood there among him, and they said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring at the sky? Jesus has been taken away from you to heaven, and someday, just as you saw him go, he will return. Um, our good friends Jesse and Tiffany Sloan, they're actually moving to uh, St. Louis, but Jesse, before he got to be basically the worldwide president, Grand Poobah of Charter uh, Spectrum, he worked for a, he worked for a construction company. Now, I'm going to call them out their names. I don't care. Uh, they were Fastenal. Fastenal, they were, uh, sold construction supplies. And so because Jesse's my friend, I was like, you know what? We're, whenever the church needs something big like construction supply-wise, I'm, I'm going to call Jesse and I'm going to order it from them. I can give them a little business. They have great customer service. I know Jesse. And so we'd order things that would help fix the stage over there. But then one of the main things we ordered was once or twice a year, depending on how much uh, insurance the church had, we would do this giant 100-foot-long slip and slide, a.k.a. slip and bleed uh, if in the youth ministry. And so I would order it because I would order this, you know, uh, industrial strength ground cover, and we'd soap it down and all that kind of stuff. And so I'd call up Jesse. Fasten all this is Jesse. How am I help you? Jesse, this is Paul. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? I need to order the so-and-so. All right, got it. And I mean, literally, sometimes it'd be that afternoon. It'd be there. It, they'd come bring it to us, whatever like that. They got to grow because Jesse is a stud. He's an incredible business manager. Fast and all grew. And it grew and grew and grew. And then the next thing you know, he said, listen, I got to hire someone on to be in the office so that I can be out in the field and check with all these different construction sites and call on customers and all this kind of stuff. And so I was like, okay, great. So I call up Fastenal to get something from them, and the phone 
fast and all this. Jason, how may I help you? Jason, how's it going? My name's Paul. Is Jesse there? No, he is not. Uh, all right, uh, can you look at our file? I'm from Corinth Church. Can you put us down for this thing we need? Okay. All right. Let me know in the like. I'll take and just hang up. A week later, nothing. I don't hear anything back. A week later, I hear nothing back. And I'm, I'm like, okay, we need this thing. I call back up again. Fast and all this, Jason, how might I help you? He might as well just said, fast and all this, Jason, I'm fixing to forget everything you're getting ready to tell me, and I don't care. Think, you know. So I was like, hey, is Jesse around? No, he's not. I was like, I'll call back later. And finally I get a hold of Jesse. I'm like, what's going on with Jason? He's like, he's good, isn't he? I was like, no, not so much. It's like, what's going on? I was like, Jesse, I ordered this thing, and we need, I need it by this afternoon. And it was there by this afternoon. The next time I called up, fast and all this, Jason, I said, Jason, it's Paul. Paul, I'm going to write down everything you say to me. (laughs) You know, but there's a beautiful thing about the idea that Christ has ascended and gone to be at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So if we look at Romans 8.34 and Romans 8.35, it says this. For who shall condemn us? Shall God himself condemn us? No. For he is the one who sent Christ. And then 835, will Christ condemn us? No, for he himself is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty interceding on our behalf. So spiritually speaking, when we pick up the phone, you have got not only the most competent, but the most sovereign, holy God at the end who sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. How exciting is that? And so as we look at this part in Acts Let's part in Acts, we've got to realize that right here, it's hard for us when we start talking about the ascension. I had a conversation with somebody the other week, and they were like, well, why, why can't we just have Jesus walking around like we did? I, I wish I could just have Jesus. And I think if we really polled people, and I said, would you rather have Jesus walking around that you could talk, touch, you know, go and have, cook out with, whatever, would you rather have that, would you have the Holy Spirit? I think most people would say, I'd rather have Jesus. But I'm going to tell you why that's wrong here in just a little while, or why that's logical, illogical. But we, we don't like it. We, we don't like it. And yet, with the ascension, Christ leaves and goes to be at the right hand of God the Father. And the Holy Spirit, as we'll read in Acts chapter 2, is unleashed on the world. And so in the book of Acts, right here where we get to this part, it we're 40 days post-resurrection. We're 40 days post-resurrection. And Jesus has been appearing to disciples periodically all through that time. You know, right after in John 21, where the disciples are in their door locked, a room with the door locked, and Jesus steps through the door, actually through the wall, through the locked door, and appears and says, peace, peace be with you. And so he appeared, and if you look at what Paul says in Corinthians as well, he appears to over 500 people at once at certain times. But he appears at certain times to all these people. And so when we see this, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit, and, John, and Jesus says this in John 16, 7. He says, I'm going away, and you are sad, but it is better. And if Jesus says something is better, you better believe it's not like when your wife tells you something's better, like HGTV versus NFL. Anyway, when Jesus says it's better, it's better. It's better. It really is better. And then, and then in, verse, in John, 1 John 2, 1, we hear this again about Christ being now at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And so when we sin, Jesus is there on our behalf to intercede for us. So in Acts chapter 1, 
we're, we're, we're 40 days post-resurrection, and then we got to realize that Acts, if you're thinking about it as a book, Acts is the bridge between the Gospels and the Epistles. And we, we ought to, we, Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, but what we could actually call it would be like to say, Acts, the continuing work of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit through his church. And that's a beautiful part of it. So when we get to verse 6, we look at verse 6 right here, and so Acts 1, verse 6, is possibly the dumbest question in the entire Bible. The disciples have just spent three years with Jesus, under which the entire time in verse 6, Jesus has never, ever, ever mentioned that he's going to restore the military theocratic rule of Israel. Notice how they put this phrase as well. When are you going to restore our kingdom? We're with you, Jesus. We're your boys. We're going to be able to sit back, right? What do they keep on asking him? Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, who considers your right and who considers your left? Remember when they say that? Well, they still don't get it. And so what we need to realize when we look at this is that one of the fundamental things that they did not understand was there's never a moment that Jesus stopped being king. Jesus was king in heaven. Jesus was king in the manger. He was king as he walked on earth. He was king on the cross, and now he is king resurrected. And now in our lives, he is king ascended. There's never been a time where he hasn't been a king. And when we think about it, he has constantly been saying, this is not a kingdom that is just tangible that you're going to put your hands on with thrones and scepters and all that kind of stuff. Case in point, when they bring the paralytic to Jesus, what's the first thing he does? Heals his heart, not his body. I forgive you of your sins. He's trying to tell you there is a kingdom that is greater. The kingdom of God is among you and within you. And so he's telling them that, and so he's, they still just don't get it. And so he answers their question in the next, in verse 7, with a little bit of a rebuke. And so in verse 7, he simply is saying to them, listen, about that part, be content with what has been revealed to you. Let the teaching of what you know match with what the, the rabbi or the teacher actually reveals with you. And those of you that are teachers in here, don't you just hate it when someone's like, oh, what are we doing tomorrow? And you're like, you haven't even figured, put in the, figured out how to put the semicolon at the end of this phrase right here. Let's not worry about that. You worry about this today. And so that's what he's telling me. He said, let your learning keep pace. There's some things that are God's and there's some things that are yours. Let the mysteries of God, and this is, comes from Exodus, let the mysteries of God belong to God. And so in verse 8, he then begins to tell you what is getting ready to happen. And so he says, the power of the church, the power of what I'm going to do, is not going to come because of who you hang out with. It's going to come because of who lives in you. The power of the church is going to come through the Holy Spirit. My kingdom is coming. My kingdom is here. But my kingdom is not something that you can just sit back and just watch happen. You will be filled with power through the Holy Spirit so you can go and do and work. So you can go and do and work. And this is so that you will be my witnesses. The word witness is used as either a verb or, or a noun 29 times in Acts. You get the idea of how important it is. But 29 times the word witness is used. And actually, it's the where we get the word martyr from. So where we get the word martyr. The root of that word is martyr. And so he says, listen, I want you to go and be my martyrs. And then notice where he says, Jerusalem and Judea. You guys are like, yeah, that's, that's fine. It's like if we're in Raleigh, if we're in North Carolina, we say go to Raleigh, go to Charlotte. No, no, no. Where's the seat of all the religious power that just crucified Christ at? That You don't end the sentence with a preposition, but I'm sorry. It's in Jerusalem. You're going to take my message into the den of all of those who hate me and had me crucified. You're going to take my message to the place where it is enemy territory. You get, you get this? But then also he says Samaria. Now, what you think about Samaria, Samaria close geographically. It's kind of just, just north of where Israel was. Close geographically, couldn't have been more different 
theologically and doctrinally and religious-wise. The, the, the Samaritans, if I can draw an analogy for you, and some of you heard me say this before, they're a little bit like the modern-day Haitians. Haitians took Catholicism and animism and formed it and have this weird kind of, you know, strange cultish religion. Well, the Samaritans had done the same thing. They had taken Judaism and they'd taken idol worship and they had combined it together to have these strange traditions. And so he says, this place is geographically not that far away, but couldn't be more different. You're going to go there. And then when he says, go to the rest of the world, to the ends of the earth, let's, let's go just logically. Where are most of the Jews in all the world at, at this point? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Israel, in all, what's the rest of the world? Gentiles. You're going to take my message to the Gentiles. And if you and, I, you and I, we don't think this way, but what he's saying is those people that I, for all your, all your life growing up reading in the Old Testament, they are unclean. Do not associate with Gentiles. Do not go into their home. Do not have a meal with them. Do not nothing. Jesus says, no, you're going to go and share my message with them because my kingdom has no boundaries on this earth, not cultural, not racial, not religious. My kingdom is going to go out and is going to invade all, and you are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go do it. And you're not going to sit back and watch it happen. And so in verse 9, then the ascension happens. In verse 9, the ascension happens, and it is important to recognize that the ascension happens publicly. This is incredibly important because what's Jesus been doing? Is according to John, he's just been popping in rooms. He pops in room. There he is, and then like, oh, Jesus is here. You know, he's there. Well, what if all of a sudden one day he just didn't pop into the room, and the next day they didn't see him, and the next day they didn't see him, and then all of a sudden they just kind of quit hearing from him? They would kind of been left for their devices, like, well, I don't know what happened to him, because the disciples were that thick at this point, but Jesus ascends publicly so that they can all see it and all witness it. And then it says that he was covered up by the clouds. There's a couple reasons for that. One, when we look into the Old Testament, we see that God in his Shekinah glory cannot, that that means God in all his glory, God in his glorious glory, cannot be seen by human eyes and, and, and live. And so what is it always covered up by? What happens in the temple? The smoke rises. What to cover up the glory of God? A cloud rises. Even as the Israelites are being led out of Egypt, a cloud but also, this comes from not only this comes from also what Jesus says about himself in Luke twenty one twenty seven, and then what Daniel says about the Son of Man in Daniel seven one thirteen that Jesus is also going to return on the clouds. You will see the Son of Man descending upon the clouds, and so he's saying, just as the way you saw me go is the way I'm going to come back again. And then again, verse ten, that's not touched by an angel; it's gently rebuked by an angel. Not that it's not as famous a Hallmark Channel. Uh, show. But these two men, obviously they're angels, and they kind of gently rebuke the disciples. Why are you standing here looking up at the sky? They say in verse 11. But 11 verse 11, there's a hominess that you and I don't get, because what does he say, to, what, do the, what do the two angels say to the men in verse 11? Men of Galilee. Men of Galilee. Now my brother Rob over here, he lives on Baker's Mountain. So not everybody knows about Baker's Mountain. If you live in Mountain View, you know about Baker's Mountain. But if somebody all of a sudden didn't know Rob and came up to him and said, man of Baker's Mountain, he'd be like, and what's, what's the saying right there? Hey, I, I know you. These, just, these angels are saying, I know you. You don't know me, but we know you. You don't know me, but we, you are familiar to us. And so he said, men of Galilee, Jesus has been taken up to heaven. Remember what we said last week about Mary Magdalene and, and Jesus said, don't hold on to me like that. 
It's the same thing that's going on right here. They're saying, listen, the way that you had Jesus tangibly for the last three years and then 40 days since the resurrection, you're not gonna have anymore. We're entering into a new era where the power that you have is not gonna come from the spoken words of Christ in the flesh, but from the Holy Spirit, who, what does Jesus say in in the upper room in John? Who will lead you into all truth? Who will empower you to share his gospel and to be his witnesses throughout the world? He's taken into heaven, and heaven not only is a place, but it implies a distance that has happened. You're not going to have him like you used to. A new era is coming. But then I love the part where he says at the end, not he might return, not he could return, not maybe return. He will return. And so this is one of the first, again, promises now in this new era. Not all the promises just of Christ in his incarnate ministry, but now this promise after the resurrection, he will come again. This is reiterating the promise from Luke 21. It's reiterating the promise from Daniel chapter 7. He is going to come again, which this then instills hope in the church. He's coming again. Don't just wait around for him to come, but you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and be my martyrs, my witnesses into the entire world. And so part of this is, when we say this, how many of you guys in your conversations, even just with your spouses or with other Christians, how many times does the ascension ever come up? I mean, for the most part, when we talk about Jesus, we love to say the gospel. We love the gospel, the gospel this, the gospel that, gospel this. Then if I were to ask you about that, you'd be like, well, Jesus died for my sins. And he rose again. And he taught for, and, and you kind of forget about that part where he goes away and he says to his disciples, it's better for you that I go away because if I go away, another will be sent to you, the counselor, the spirit of truth, and he will lead you into all truth the Spirit of God himself. Now, I want to say something. We're going to spend just a second here because this is something that trips Christians up. You say, I'd rather have Jesus tangibly. You might say that. I'd rather have Jesus tangibly. The Holy Spirit is just mysterious. First of all, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an entity or a force. The Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. Secondly, let's enter into the mystery of the Trinity And not hold on to it because our God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit. But wherever the Spirit goes, so goes the Spirit of Christ. Wherever the Son is, so is the Father. They are one. And so that helps us also when we read the Old Testament. When we read the Old Testament and people might say, well, Jesus never talked about that. And I want to go, hang on. What do you believe about the Trinity? Jesus is part of the Trinity. What is God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three in one. So whenever you hear something in the Old Testament, Jesus is there saying it. He is one with the Father. How many times does he say that in the Gospels? The Holy Spirit is there. What does David say in Psalm 51? Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because he knew that the Holy Spirit was empowering him to work. It had been unleashed on the world, but God in his favor gave it to him. So wherever the Spirit is, so goes the Father and the Son as well. Not tangibly, and I know you want to just go share some Chick-fil-A nuggets because that's Jesus' favorite restaurant, I get it. But you have the Spirit of Christ because you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Father because you have the Holy Spirit, the three-in-one, the triune God that you have. So the first part about this, about the ascension that is so incredible and is something that's near and dear to my heart is this, and this is, I'm just taking this straight out of Romans, actually I misquoted this, Romans 8, 33 and 34, is that correct? Romans 8, 33 and 34, not 34 and 35. So the first one's this, who can dare accuse you who God has chosen for his own? 
Who can dare now accuse you whom God has chosen for his own? This is Romans 8.33. No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. The next verse is this. Who then will condemn us? No one. Will Christ condemn us? No. For Christ died for us and was raised to life, and he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand. And what's the next line? Pleading for us. Because of Christ's ascension, we now have an advocate with the Father. That's John 1, 1 John 2, 1. We now have an advocate. If we sin, if we sin, we have an advocate who is there with the Father pleading for us on our behalf. That would not have happened had Christ not ascended. It would not have happened without Christ not ascended. So whenever Satan accuses us, now Satan is the accuser, by the way. He is your enemy. Satan is the accuser. So whenever he accuses you, and you know what Satan's accusations are? Satan's accusations quite often are, you know, Satan is a liar, but when it comes to our sin, he would say about me, he has a filthy mouth and a filthy mind and a filthy heart. And I would go, quite often that is true. But guess what? When Satan accuses you, what he is trying to get you to do is take the sum of your sins and apply it to your identity. That's how Satan's accusations work. Satan's accusations is saying, you are the sum of your sins, and that is your identity. The other way that Satan accuses us is he says, the weight of your sins is greater than the blood of the cross. The weight of your sins is greater than God's grace and mercy. And so whenever he brings that to you, this is when you start feeling, not, I'm not talking about when your Holy Spirit convicts you, but when you begin to go, man, I am just a failure. Man, I am just a this. Man, I am just a that. God's grace is not sufficient for me. It's, I'm too far away. I've done too many dumb things. I can't do that. That's when Christ, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, says, how dare you accuse he or she whom I took the curse from so that they might have right standing in front of the Father. And it's beautiful so when Satan comes to a t- he, Jesus stands up, how dare you sit down and shut up? Now, you know what? I was the, you know, I said I grew up Methodist. I was, we, were in the, we, we did the typical thing in the South. We were Methodists for a while while they had a good music minister, and then we went to Baptist church, and they had one. But as a little Methodist boy in the second grade, I got shipped off to the Catholic school in town. And um, I'm not going to say anything about the, the nuns that were our teachers. I'm sure that they're wonderful people. Um, but in my second grade year, I will never forget, and she's probably dead, so I'm going to call her out by name, Sister Mary Margaret. Now, Sister Mary I'm new to the school. I'm in second grade. Sister Mary Margaret comes in, and I am your top not neat, good gracious. But she wanted to, you know, we had these desks where you sit on the desk, the chairs connected to it, and the desk had this little inside cubby and how organized it was. And you had to have your papers, your books, and your pencils, and they all had to be in there. And she would look, this is what happens when you can't get married. Anyway, um, so she comes in, she comes in and she looks, and she's told me like six times, you need to have, you, your pens can't be over here, your pencils have to be here, they have to be number two, your papers have to be here, your books have to be here, do this. And so, and I'm like this, I'm just taking a pen out, and then, our pen, and then I'll put it over here and whatever, and she stops the class and says, all right, we're going to have a desk check. Oh my goodness. This is like when your kids have been like walking in the woods, and you say, all right, tick check. Now for them, it was desk check. She comes over to my desk and looks in and just looks at me, and she turns just every shade of red. And, and again, as Jesus, as my witness, grabs the lip of my desk and just goes, boom, on the floor, and everything goes out everywhere. And she says, now pick it up and do it the right way. And like, they didn't continue teaching. I'm on the floor, this poor little Methodist boy. John Wesley did nothing to save me. 
and I'm picking up all this stuff, and I come home, and she says, she, basically it ended like, you are a mess. You are a mess. What am I going to do with you? Second grade. I'm 46 and still scarred by it, evidently. And I come home, and you know, I'm home, and like, what's going on? And I, t- I relate the story to my mom. I knew it was awesome when my mom called my dad to tell her about it. The next day, I go to school. My dad didn't say anything, but my dad comes, and it's about 9 o'clock, and he peeks his head in the classroom, and he says, Sister Mary Margaret, can I have a word with you? And I was like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but like the headmistress was, what would she be if she was the lady, the headmaster lady? The, whatever she was, she was the grand, the grand princess of nuns was there for the school. I don't know what she called. But they were both in the hallway, and they all walked down, and we all, like, literally some of the kids got up, and they looked out the door, and they looked, and nothing happens. And then they, like, five minutes later, they walked back down in the room, and she's just kind of like this, and she's just kind of got this look like, my dad's a defense attorney at the time, you know, if that tells you anything. And for the rest of the school year, she was so sweet to me. She was so sweet to me. And I thought to myself, my father stepped in, and I don't know what he said, but it had to be something like, how dare you accuse him who belongs to me? And that's what Christ does. And I'm not in any way insinuating that a nun and Satan are the same person. (laughs) But he steps in, Christ steps in and says, how dare you accuse who belongs to me? That's one of the benefits of the ascension, where Christ sits. How dare you accuse the one whom I bled for? The second thing is this, because Christ ascended, this is just general, because Christ ascended, we get the Holy Spirit. Because Christ ascended, John 14, 16, if I go, I will send another. John 16, 7, I will go away and it is better for you if I go, because if I go, I will send another, the counselor. So why is it better to have the Holy Spirit than to have a tangible Jesus walking around? Let's just engage our logic just for a minute. Jesus as one man, fully God but fully human, in the flesh, walking around, resided where? In Palestine, in the Holy Land. Where would we be right now in that equation? We probably, our ancestors are scattered all over the world, probably not many of them in Jerusalem, Judea, Nazareth. So if Jesus is now right here, what would we have to do if we wanted to go have communion with Jesus? Get on a plane or a boat and go to him. He is one man in one place, even though he's fully God and fully human. So but now through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has come to us. God is not just out there somewhere. God lives in every believer. His Holy Spirit is ubiquitous and omnipresent. And so if you think about this, this is the continued coming close and drawing near of God. God in the Old Testament comes close and draws near, and his presence is there in the temple, and it is in the Holy of Holies. And if you want to come, you can come because he's there. But then the next level is God then sends himself through his son to go and walk around and be, and the Son of God lived and moved and dwelt. The world became, world became flesh and dwelt among us. And now through the ascension, the power of God through the Holy Spirit goes out and empowers everyone, every believer who professes and confesses Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So it's better that we have this. It is absolutely better. So Jesus goes with us, and he's with us always, and that's better. But the beautiful part is the seated part. Now, I don't know about you guys, but at the end of the day when I come home, my bad habit is that I go home, and I hug everyone, and then I do what? Sit. 
Why? Because the work of the day is done. So there's a beautiful part when we profess that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. You know why? The work for our salvation is completed. Everything that he needed to do to provide a way for us to be right with God is done. We can't add anything to it. He's seated down. The work is done. He is there with God the Father. So the Holy Spirit then, because it's been released, now empowers us and empowers us to live for glory. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live for truth. The Holy Spirit is there to comfort us. The Holy Spirit is there to lead us, to guide us. You don't have to go and find Jesus because through his spirit, he has come to find you and he has come to empower you to live for him and build his kingdom, just as he told the disciples. So this is why Jesus has this response in verse seven. In verse seven, he says, listen, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know because I don't want you to just be sitting here waiting for my kingdom to come and not do anything and just think you can sit back. The Holy Spirit is gonna come and empower you. And you know what? Part of this speaks to the human condition that we have. It speaks to the human condition because we are often so ready to just sit and wait for God to do something rather than to be empowered by his Holy Spirit to go out and do it. And so if Jesus had said, yeah, listen, I'm gonna be gone, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be up there, and then for about, you know, a short period of time, maybe two years, I'll come back again. In two years, I'll come back. What would have happened to the disciples? They would have sat there and waited for the two years to be up. And there would have been plenty of things for them to have done, but because they knew the time, they would not have worked. You know what? You know who's the most pathetic group of people in the entire world? Groomsmen on a wedding day. You know why? Because, you know, bridesmaids, you come and you get dressed 18 hours before the wedding. You slept in your dress. I don't know what you did, but you're there. You're ready. Everything's ready. And then they tell the groomsmen, you need to be there at this exorbitantly long period before. And all men were dressed in these suits. Seinfeld just kind of says, you know, the reason why they, they all look the same is because if the first one doesn't work out, you just pick the best man and they just keep on going. But anyway, we're all dressed the same. It doesn't matter. And so they get all dressed up and they dress up hours too early. You know how you know this? Because whenever a big flower needs to be moved, whenever a big candelabra needs to be moved, whenever a bunch of cords need to be moved, whenever grandma needs to get carried from a wheelchair up these steps, do you know who they go get? Groomsmen. And so it's never ceases to fail that they're dressed in an 18-piece suit out there where it's 95 degrees, shoveling manure, and then they go back in and they're like, why did I get dressed so early and just wait around when there was all this other stuff to do? Well, that's how we would be if we were just waiting around. we just sit there and wait and be like, hey, God, I'm just going to hang out here and wait for you to come. And God's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to empower you through the Holy Spirit to work, to work. And so if you thought that this Christian life was just that God was going to save you and then you just sit back and wait for him to come again, no, 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 no. He is empowering you to do the impossible, but he is with you through it every step of the way. And then this last part is, How does Jesus' return to judge the living and the dead affect you in your life? How does Jesus' return to judge the living and the dead affect you? I don't know if you've ever been accused of something you didn't do versus accused of something you did do. And if you're accused of something that you did do, you kind of are like, oh man. Especially if if the punishment is a little bit late coming. Like if your brother says that you did something and you did it and then you gotta wait for dad to get home, that's a different conversation. And like your brother says, he put inchworms in my ear and you're just like yes I did and then you got to take that punishment but when your brother says he put inchworms in my ear and you didn't do it you're like all right let's just see what happens when dad comes home all right fine we'll see what happens well when we have been accused by Satan 
when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, it is Christians' public acquittal of every sin that has happened. Because we're gonna stand there one day and and we're gonna stand before the Lord whether he comes back or whether we die and everything that we've ever done is gonna be laid out. Everything we've ever done is gonna be laid out right in front of us. And God the Father will say, and, and Christ will say, and my death on the cross covered all of that. Who will curse you whom I took the curse from? And we will walk and enter in. And Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant, knowing darn well we weren't good and faithful, but that Christ was good and faithful. And he took it on our behalf. But the other beauty of that the other beauty of that is every evil that has been done in this world, every injustice, every person that has lived sinfully to make a mockery of God, to monopolize wealth to themselves, and to step on anyone and everyone else to get what they want is going to get justice. So sometimes in this world we're like, why do unfair things happen? Because this world is dominated by sin. But there is coming a day where Christ will come to judge the living and the dead, and those who are in him will be publicly acquitted, and those who are his enemies will go to forever punishment. Forever punishment. Christ will finally come. And the last part of the beauty of that is when Christ finally comes, it's definitely the beginning of the next era. The beginning of the next era where there's a new body and a new heavens and a new earth, where there is no more pain because there's no more old earth. There's no more sadness, there's no more cancer, there's no more sin, because the old things are gone, and the new era will come where God will take care of all evildoers, and they will all go to be forever apart from him, and his own will be with him. And before you start arguing about how unfair that is, let me just say this. If you didn't want Jesus in life, why would you want him in death? So he's giving them what they want, separation from God, and now they're going to get it for eternity. But let's not end on that note. Because Christ has ascended, you and I have the Holy Spirit. What does God tell us about the Holy Spirit? He's there to lead us into all truth. He's there to convict the world and ourselves of sin. Secondly, he's our comforter. The word in Greek is paraclete. That's the best, that's, it's, it's an incredible word for advocate. He is our advocate. And then the beautiful part about it, Romans chapter eight, when we pray, we don't even know what to pray. And it says that the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and with grumblings that are too intense for us to even understand, correctly presents them to God the Father. The Holy Spirit takes our prayers and prays for us what we would pray if we knew what God knows to the Father. Kevin DeYoung says, because Christ is in heaven, he is our prayer partner in heaven. He is our prayer partner in heaven. So if you wanna think about where your prayer partner is, your prayer partner might be sitting in this room, but your heavenly prayer partner is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. And God, your ascension is something that is incredible. Were we to have seen it, we would have had our eyes so widely open to the power and the goodness of you. And Lord, so I pray that you would remind us again and again that it is good that we have the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is leading us into truth, that you're comforting us, Lord, through your Spirit, that you're guiding us, that you're convicting us of our sin. Lord God, and that we have a holy prayer partner in heaven in you. So Jesus, we thank you so much that you did leave us because you leaving us is better for us and you're empowering us to go do your work. So Lord, let us not sit and wait. Let us not get dressed up for nothing, but let us roll up our sleeves to feed the hungry. Let us roll up our sleeves to reach out to the lost, to heal the broken, 
to fight for those who are receiving every kind of injustice and to love those that are unlovable and unlovely because that is what you did for us. Not in our own power, but by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we love you, Lord God. Thank you so much for your incredible spirit. And thank you for ascending and sitting at the right hand of the Father for us, Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.